isn't it ironic that an indian and a pakistani are discussing geopolitical conflict that isn't kashmir hi i'm suveer bajaj from bombay india and i'm omar kazi from karachi pakistan we've been friends for over 15 years now and often i dream of getting into my car and driving to go and see omar over the weekend door to door the journey is only 883 kilometers for me yet it's impossible to get there and in this podcast we and i are going to try to take that journey digitally as we explore the similarities that pakistanis and indians have through the lens of content community and culture we will chat with respected filmmakers chefs musicians even stand up comics who may have performed across the border and even have fans here and there our aim is to try and bridge the gap between our two countries through transformational dialogue with the youth of our nations i'm sure that together we will identify several similarities after all we are all cut from the same cloth and indeed we might find a few differences but we will celebrate them good evening you're listening to 883 to infinity today's episode is around the israel palestine issue it's a tricky topic for suvir and i to approach but we'll try to be objective forgive us if we make some factual errors in the process and we hope the next hour can be insightful for you on this very convoluted yet very critical global issue on today's episode of 883 to infinity with umair kazi and subir bajaj we're going to be discussing geopolitical conflict when we think of geopolitical conflict in the world today there are a few very obvious examples that come to mind in the more recent present some of the conflicts that come to mind include the ethiopian and sudanese clashes from 2020 to 2021 of course there's been the ongoing and protracted conflict between russia and ukraine that began in february of 2014 but has persisted for a while that war has been centered around the status of the ukrainian regions of crimea and donbas uh recently india faced a massive challenge over the course of the last 12 months on its northern eastern borders where we've been having skirmishes with china along the pangong pangong so lake over the course of the last one year and while of course there's a ceasefire that has been called the skirmishes continue of course the longest standing conflict that you can think of when it comes to geopolitical conflicts in the world today is kashmir that india and pa- pakistan have been battling over since 1947 if i take a side step from geopolitical conflict in the world and i talk about religious conflict which are the largest conflicts that come to mind number 1 of course comes in at india and pakistan because the conflict started with the united kingdom and england's policy of divide and conquer and therefore divide and rule and we were divided by religion which was the biggest point of division and therefore has become the biggest point of conflict since the last 75 years of course there's been the nigerian conflict as late as 2010 between the christians and muslim groups of the region and the third and the most prominent has been the israel palestine conflict that we're here to discuss today yeah and when it comes to this particular con- this this very very complex issue which is i mean it it's not something new it has been there off and on for a while now but it's only uh, recent events and this happens every couple of years or every couple of decades as a matter of fact when when this sort of issue flares up and it becomes international news and everybody looks into it but uh, we thought it would be interesting for the purposes of this podcast to actually dive into what the underlying causes where it all where the spark actually originated this you know go into the history of the problem a little bit and you know like i said the the area that this conflict uh, stems from is is it's a very hotly contested territory as far as pieces of land go uh throughout history it's been i mean it's it's not just something that you can put in terms of israel or palestine it's some you know this area has if you go back in time you will find that you know perhaps the it has been conquered by someone as 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 old as the ancient egyptians and then came the canaanites then the kingdom of israel then it was taken out by the assyrians the babylonians the achaemenids the the ancient greeks the romans the persians the pazids the the you know all the the islamic caliphates um eventually ending up with the ottoman uh, which was the 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 caliphate at the time at which point it changed power into the hands of the british uh 
conveniently this part was so it was a uh, you know, it was either going to the, the French forces after the World War or to, to the British. So the British took up this, this entire territory. Uh, and finally, it comes up to, to the current state of affairs where the conflict now is, uh, but, but now it's, it's centered around the people that live in the area now, which is the Israelis and the Palestinians. And in order to understand further about that concept, uh, we, we actually need to go back in time to understand, uh, which is an often thrown about word, by the way, the, the concept of, of Zionism, right? Because um, the modern Israeli state is based upon certain principles of Zionism. And uh, just uh, if I'd, I'd like to go a little back further because I'm a bit of a history nerd when it comes to this. So this is the, there was, the ancient story is that even before Christ, uh, some a thousand years before uh, what is known to be, uh, you know, uh, the changeover, uh, there was a kingdom of Israel. And this was, uh, it, it, at the time the province was called Judea, and this kingdom of Israel was was in power for, uh, well, the, the dates vary for around about a thousand years, right? So this is something that started in, historians argue, something around uh, 1047 BC. And, you know, it's up to six after common era uh, that, that it was under the Israeli, uh, the ancient Israeli control. Um, and at that point, you know, then came a long line of, of kingdoms and powers and world powers and invading armies that took over control, then handed it to someone else, took over control, then handed it to the, someone else. The first of which were, I, you know, the first prominent uh, of which were actually the Romans uh, who came over in around 6 CE and made, uh, they're the ones that actually renamed the, the area into uh, Syria, Palestina. Palestina, they named it. Their intent was they wanted to wipe the memory of, of, of the people that used to live there at the time, and they gave it a new name. Palestinian, Palestina, they, you know, the etymology is that they wanted to name it after the Philistines who were part of the Canaan race, right? Um, and from that point onward, so think before Christ, think a thousand years before Christ, that they had this glorious kingdom, these people that lived there. Uh, after that, as as invading armies and invading cultures started coming into this land, the the in, the people that lived there in the area started to spread out uh, and move in in adjoining areas. They did worldwide migration slowly, slowly, slowly. So from that point onwards, there's within the Jewish community, uh, there is this this yearning to go back home. As a matter of fact, it it seems um, that this this is. Also, this this concept of going back home is so it's so prevalent that it's even in the daily prayers, and it's not something new. It's been there for now thousands of years. The the idea that we were displaced from where we were, and now we have to go back home. So for the longest time, it was just a concept, uh, and it's it, you know it existed in the community's subconscious, but it's only in 1897 when uh, this gentleman called Theodor Herzl uh, actually contextualized the problem as a political problem. He, you know, he put out a 60-page paper where he said, um, if, if we all yearn to go back home, now most, what is the most obvious home we can think of? Now, at, at this time, uh, the Jewish community spread across Europe. So what's home for us? So the obvious candidate was, okay, let's go back to the kingdom of Jerusalem. Let's go back to the kingdom of Israel, where we, you know, our, our ancestors used to be. Uh, and that is when slowly uh, there was this worldwide, let's say, campaign whereby uh, the Jewish community that had been displaced over hundreds and thousands of years, hundreds if not thousands of years, had slowly started trickling back into that particular region. And as a matter of fact, since, since we're admin, <laughs> so the, the campaign, the one very interesting soundbite from that campaign back in the day were that uh, it's, uh, it's a land without people for people without a land. Now, the problem is that there were already people living there. So it's not like it was vacant there uh, ever since the, the kingdom of Israel moved out. 
there had been people that have been uh, arabs that been had been living there for a long time now so as these as the jewish community started trickling back into the area um this the after world war now now we're in in the 20s uh now it's under british control uh, and you know we we understand how british colonialism worked given that this is an india pakistan podcast divide and rule and what that uh so the british realize after a little while assuming control that you know the, the amount of inf the influx of 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 the jewish community that's coming in uh into this area is causing a conflict between the otherwise population the the three groups that were living there the muslims the christians and the and the some jews so as more and more jewish people are coming into the area it's increasing conflict within the community so what they did was they put a stop to it they said okay that's it uh, you know no more people coming in uh, and this is where the militarization of the whole issue starts so otherwise you know even under the ottoman empire they these very diverse people used to live there just relatively fine i'm assuming uh, but only after the british put a stop is when some of these israeli uh, some of these jewish migrants um, started to address the problem in a in a in a slightly more militarized fashion in a, in a more violent way and there and and it was directed at both both their you know the the british that had now come to rule over them and at the other major community that was living there which were the arabs um, and waha se the you know it's this conflict has started escalating slowly 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 um until we come into um 1948 1948 is when the british just like 1947 for for pakistan and india the british decide that you know bas bahut ho gaya humse ye sambhala nahi ja raha hum ja rahe hain okay bye and uh, at this point just like pakistan and india just like mr you know radcliffe's razor yeah it's just uh, borders are driven out uh, uh, drawn out and they said okay you know what let's let's do this uh, we'll give a separate homeland to the israelis which they can govern we'll give a separate homeland to uh, to the the palestinians which they can govern and we're out but they didn't really i mean if you go into the nuance of it they didn't really solve the 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 communal conflict in a very effective way and they just moved out and as soon as they move out this is when uh, that sort of um, uh, what is now the the prevailing israeli palestinian conflict starts coming into play and as we move towards um, the current let's say why we're doing this podcast today what is the relevance of that historical line to this podcast today is that from that point onwards now this it, the israeli state is based upon like i said some principles of zionism zionism is a is is uh, is like this nationalist sort of identity uh, which is intertwined with religious uh, uh, with, with jewish religious identity you know this is our home we'll take care of it we'll you know we'll 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 make it great and blah 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 all of that sort of stuff and but this is our place which is at odds with the people that were already living there they're like okay sure but why and gradually so abhi bhi jo issue hua hai which is the uh, it started off with settlements uh, in this neighborhood in the area which uh, of sheikh jarra so settlements hai kya ki settlements mein for those of our uh, listeners that don't exactly know settlements mein ye hota hai that people uh, some jewish communities come and take up this little plot of land and they develop it and then they live there right so they are they are guarded by israeli police or whatever their defense forces uh and and they gradually have been doing this across the years uh for the last 70 odd years and the latest one actually happened to be in sheikh jarrah and it, i've you know for israelis this is they claim that this is a real estate issue this is an internal conflict theek hai hamare log settle karte hain magar wo hamare mulk mein hamare log settle kar rahe hain aur kisi aur community ko wo kar rahe hain so we'll deal with it internally the international community need not worry uh, and uh, magar yahan pe the the palestinians which are for the last 70 years their um, their land has been squeezed their resources have been squeezed and they they're just isolated in little pockets now every time a new settlement opens up in their last remaining refuge they they obviously protest and it's these to protect these protest to 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 protect the the new settlers from these protests uh the the defense force was called in 
which resulted in clashes. The clashes resulted in Hamas, which is a, a, a more uh, an extremist form of a uh, of some people considered a terrorist organization. A lot of countries considered a terrorist organization. Some people think that they're freedom fighters. Uh, so Hamas, in retaliation, said, "You know, aisi ki aisi, we'll fire rockets at you." And that's when the Israelis said, "Rockets? Oh, no problem. We'll throw airstrikes at you." So this is where the whole story from you know 1000 BC comes to the present day. The the Israeli um, argument is that we're not settlers. We were here. We're just coming back. So you know our ancestors were here in this land for a period of time, period of a thousand years. We're just coming back now. And the Palestinians uh, or the Arabs rather is like you know okay, um, but. What about us? We've been here for a while too, and that is, in essence, why this 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 underlying issue. And of course, when violence is involved, when weapons are involved, when rockets are involved, when the Iron Dome is involved, where flight, you know, um, air invasions are involved, uh, it's it just becomes the scale becomes uh, deadly in terms of human loss of life. So in this, uh, in just this, and as we record right now. Uh, just a day ago, there was a, there's a talks of a ceasefire being announced. But just in these 11 days, there are more than 250 people dead, most of which are Palestinians. I think six, seven are Israelis. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure about the number right now. But most of them have been Palestinians. Uh, because obviously Israel is right now the world's most, perhaps one of the world's most advanced militaries. And they can, they can really give a disproportionate response to whatever the Palestinians throw at them. And, you know, so despite the fact that Hamas has fired some 4,000 rockets at Israeli cities, uh, Israel has carried, you know, gone a step further and said, you know what, here are some airstrikes, hundreds of airstrikes that have happened on, on many of which are now residential targets. We've all seen the footages of residential buildings falling down, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, Israeli officials have said that they've actually targeted 100 and, uh, 1,600 military targets. Now, usme, the humanitarian crisis that comes into play is that because these, what they consider to be military targets seem to have civilian casualties, disproportionate civilian casualties there as well. And that is where all the uproar is coming from. That is why the world is sitting up and taking notice. That is why um, some people, you know, it's, people are debating about what's the right course of action. And you know this this entire issue as uh, it is as tragic as it is interesting because it's you know most even I before I actually studied this didn't realize how far back in time this actually goes, but why it's relevant to our to eight eight three to infinity to Suvir and I because it has strong parallels with you know a lot of the things that we notice as as Indians and Pakistanis right the like like so we said so the border conflicts the militarization the UN trying to come in and all of that so that's why um, we feel like this is something worth probing worth asking questions about at least worth informing uh, our our audiences about thanks Umair, for that uh, lovely summary you summed up thousand years in four minutes I think very aptly and brought us to today uh, and I think that was a nice concise summary for our listeners so thanks for that but I think we're at this juncture it's uh, you know prudent that we kind of take stock of where India and Pakistan stand on this matter since we are an India-Pakistan friendship podcast it's important to understand where our nations stand on this so let me start by updating our listeners around the world as to what India's stance is as far as the Israel and Palestine conflict. So the Indian stance as far as our government is concerned is not very definitive. So if I have to go back as early as 1948 when the separation of the state started, uh, historically speaking, India did not even recognize Israel as an independent state. India was not pro-partition and in fact in India voted in the favor of no separation of state. Mahatma Gandhi and Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru, who were leaders of India, leaders of the free India and were responsible for the independence and the independence movement from the British, didn't recognize Israel 
and weren't pro-partition of state right from 1938 to when it eventually happened in 48. It was only in 51 where there was some loose acceptance or acknowledgement of the fact that Israel stands as an independent state. But it wasn't until 1992 under the Congress's regime where India finally set up its first consular office in Israel. So from 51 to 92 for a 41-year period, India said, look, we don't necessarily recognize the independence of state of this, of this nation. Uh, and there were very, very cold relations with Israel. Now, it's, it's very interesting to note that uh, all of this uh, proceeded uh, in a very, uh, you know, cold fashion leading up to 2014, because in 2014, we had a landmark landslide election in India for the first time in which the Bharatiya Janata Party or commonly known as the BJP came into power oh. after several years of Congress rule other than the short intermittent span in 1996 when the BJP had come into power. But after several years of Congress rule, uh, the BJP won the elections with a landslide victory. So for our listeners around the world who are not familiar with Indian politics, in 2014, Prime Minister Narendra Modi came to power representing the Bharatiya Janata Party or the People's Party as it translates into India. The Bharatiya Janata Party practices a religious philosophy of Hindutva uh, and is conservative and right-leaning in terms of its political affiliation. Post-2014, relations with Israel have been very comfortable. Nevertheless, the official stance that the Indian government takes through its foreign policy represented in India and around the world is that they are continuously sitting on the fence as far as this matter is concerned. Nonetheless, the people's opinion is torn down the middle yet again. Indian people inherently, the liberals are pro-peace. Uh, the Indian people realize that they do not necessarily have to pick sides. And as a result, even if they pick a side, they could be pro-peace. Indian people have seen enough conflict in their own country with our neighbors, with Pakistan in context to the largest geopolitical issue in the region for the last 75 years being Kashmir. And we've seen enough strife and we've seen enough conflict that's been driven by religion and by the state's politics in order to really empathize and sympathize with the people of Israel and Palestine for what they're going through. But nevertheless, the guys who sit on the right are very, very pro-Israel at the moment. And it looks like there's a lot of state-sponsored conversations going on where there are right-leaning fanatics who very, very blindly back uh, Israel's movements. So I find that even with people in terms of factions of society, you've got the educated liberals who are pro-peace, who say, hey, look, we may not even need to have to pick a stand. And then you have the conservatives who are backing the state in terms of its idealistic uh, uh, you know, its policies and are blindly backing Israel no matter what its stance is. And a lot of that conversation and chatter, if you study you know, li social listening patterns and social intelligence patterns, comes from religious intolerance that exists in India today, that exists in communities in India today, that people are now projecting onto different social or political or economic environments in uh, you know, in the global forum. And that's really sad. That's an exemplification of the lack of exposure and education that Indians have vis-a-vis -vis global conflict in different parts of the world. It's interesting to realize, though, that while the government stand officially is that we are fence-sitters, Indian people are split down the middle 50-50 between being the liberals being pro-peace and then, of course, the conservatives being, uh, you know, blindly backing this ideology of Zionism or Hindutva, as we call it in India. However, it's interesting to understand what the country's relationship is with Israel and Palestine. Um, like I said, in 1992, we did set up the first consular office in Israel. And in 2014, Modi did start establishing very healthy relations with Israel. In fact, in 2017, Prime Minister Narendra Modi was the first Indian Prime Minister to physically visit Israel. And that was a landmark moment for India because it was an Indian prime minister diplomatically extending his hand and the country's hand in friendship to Israel, which is a country that historically 75 years ago, we didn't even recognize. We said no to the separation of state. Our leaders who were the leaders of free India said no to the separation of the state and discouraged uh, acknowledging the independence of Israel. And today we have the leader of free India who's extending his hand and making a visit to Israel uh, and I think that kind of summates uh, in 
exemplifying the active trade corridor that India has with Israel, right, with the strategic importance that Israel holds in the region. And of course, the fact that we've got a very, very strong active arms corridor uh, amounting to the tune of $4.8 billion US dollars annually between India and Israel. And India is actually one of the largest buyers of military ammunition and armament from Israel in the world today. And that's a dipstick in terms of what India's relationship is with Israel at the moment before we move further. How is it like for Pakistan? Uh, so in stark contrast, contrast, in stark contrast, uh, we are not fence sitters. So no, there is no 50-50% split. It's a very decisive stance that uh, society in Pakistan, the government of Pakistan, the leadership, everybody has, has a, a pro-Palestine stance. Uh, because, the, you know, you rightly pointed out, so when, um, in, in, back in the day, in, the, in, in 48, and, uh, when we also did not recognize uh, Israel, and that is something that has that has that that comes to this as day as well. As a matter of fact, you know, like I was telling you earlier, and I propped this up for this particular thing. Our passport to this day, this is my passport. Ah, let's see. Not a very good idea to do this live, but yeah. So it specifically said, if you can't read, it says that. This passport is valid for all countries of the world except Israel. So, literally, our 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 diplomatic document uh, that's going to you know uh, represent us wherever we go. Uh, it 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 does not. It explicitly states for just one country that ye to mulk hai nahi. So we haven't recognized it since 1948. Since we came into existence, to this day we don't recognize it. So the government stance also till this day has been uh, against Israel. Uh, and and uh, you know there were some talks of of back channeling in General Pervez Musharraf's era, but once again that was something that was unsubstantiated. Nothing really came out of it. So as a matter of fact, if you look at uh, international forums, you'll see that Pakistan is one of the the government and the state of Pakistan is one of the most vocal proponents of act, of of condemning um, uh, the Israeli side especially in context of these recent attacks that stemmed from Sheikh Jarrah, Pakistan and Turkey, right? So they've been, they've been, they've been trying to rally support, internationally condemn this thing, uh, over and above, surprisingly, um, even Arab states, because Arab states still have that some sort of a connection, the, the US connection, and then US is a Israel ally. But this Pakistan has always, the, the state stance has been that, you know, this is where, a, we don't recognize you. Who are you? And B, if you do really exist, then we hate you and, you know, everything else. Right? So as so much so that if you come into the public's level, uh, and this is, once again, I'm speaking of, of from, from personal example, uh, the, there's this phrase uh, in a colloquial phase in, in common Pakistani expressions and language which is the Yahudi Sazish. Yahudi Sazish in, in Urdu means Jewish conspiracy. It has become so embedded into our brains and our society and our conversations that it's almost become a joke. So when you want to exaggerate something and say it's no big deal, you say like, yaar, ye to Yahudi Sazish hai. As if, you know, this is something unbelievable. Uh, and and this, this has been part of our, like, let's say, our pop culture nomenclature. Uh, to the extent that now, Abhi, right now, as we stand today, the sentiment is so sensitive and so delicate that we actually had some campaigns planned just to make some jokes as punchlines, just to exaggerate the effect of something. You know, we said, oh, yeah, yeah, and we actually, those, those creators and those brands reached out to us and said, you know what, you could joke about this earlier, but no longer can we do that. So, you're, you know, there's this very fever pitch uh, of public sentiment that that sides very very decisively on on one side of this this conflict. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've been having sit-ins, we've been having protests across the country in major cities. Today only, um, my mother actually asked me to take her to one of these protests. 
but i had a pride commitment with a with a with a client so i couldn't but i promised her to i'll take her in the next one so there is this uh, there is this sentiment that's bubbling in the general pakistani community that you know whatever happening is is not fair and that you know the world community should step in and once again so left or right leaning the first uh, first course of action is stop the bloodshed because we see you know we we sympathize with palestine so the the first line of action that every pakistani proposes whether on state level or on or on the public's level is you know stop bloodshed stop the conflict and then figure out who's right who's wrong all of that sort of stuff um this is actually interesting uh, because once again I, i have personal experience of this as well uh in my younger and more reckless days i was i, I went to um to the infamous full moon party at kofanya right and you know it's just like this very uh a different kind of mood it's it's not a very confrontational environment it's sleazy it's sucky it's it's i wouldn't recommend it but uh, so i bump into this guy everybody like you know whenever you bump into someone you go like hey what's up how are you very from whatever all of that sort of stuff so i bump into this guy and the guy's in israeli so he's like so hey where are you from i'm from israel where are you from you from pakistan oh i'm going to fuck you up so it's just and and to be honest i had the same sort of sentiments in my mind as well because you know it's it's something that we've we've grown up with um you know this sort of hatred for for israel for for all the reasons that i specified earlier the disproportionate deaths and all of that sort of stuff so the, there is no 50% there is no sitting on the fence when it comes to pakistan this side on 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 one particular side and this is because um so so from the first moment onwards right so it's it's been pakistan did not recognize it or has been actively opposing the state of israel uh neglecting to even acknowledge it as a state uh and on the flip side so as far as now it's it's difficult to ascertain the the relationship that pakistan has with the palestinian state because the concept of a palestinian state itself is is sort of liquid so the palestinian authority uh we've had we had a very close relationship with them um in the first palestinian war um uh, israel's diplomatic mission in in the us actually received information that pakistan was trying to provide pakistan this now one or two year old country uh is a freshly independent is trying to provide military assistance to the arabs in the fighting in palestine including rumors that a pakistani battalion uh would be sent to palestine to fight alongside the palestinians uh, and then in 67 the pakistani air force actually participated in the arab israeli war so there have been a bunch of these wars as you guys dive into it you'll be see there have been a bunch of these wars uh and pakistani air force pilots actually participated in it um and they were flying jordanian and syrian planes um and they even down some israeli planes so uh so this this in and out whatever sort of authority that's been there whatever sort of central management that's been there um so it was a palestinian authority earlier then it became the plo and plo uh in in the 73 war uh pakistan and the plo actually signed agreements to train uh, pakistani liberation uh, officers in pakistan military institutions so there has been a connect in terms of of offering real world concrete support at least as far as um as far as our you know uh, defense is concerned as far as arms are concerned so we've been we've been on that side for a while now so you have the big 3 you have the state you have the the people you have the the institutions and they've all been on this on one particular side of the issue and i i sort of understand why It's really interesting. I had absolutely no idea that a legal document like a passport can have a statement on it saying "not for valid use in one particular country." I didn't even know that was possible, let alone that it's practical and it's actually implemented by Pakistan. That's really interesting, and I think that we must share this photograph with our listeners on our social media as well, well for people who don't believe. Yeah, it, I'll like blur out the passport name. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't take out my identity. Uh, but yeah, so it's we're not the only country actually. There the Uh, hordes of muslim muslim nations that are actually you know people as uh, and not just arabs pakistani and arabs go hand in hand often places but even places like countries like malaysia actually have that little page that says you know valid for all countries except israel because 
F you Israel, we don't recognize you. No, I think it's very clear where uh, Pakistan stands on this issue and, you know, historically where it's been. And you also cited out that from 67 onwards also participated in a little bit of, uh, you know, um, strife as well with the participation of the pilots in the 67 war, etc. It's interesting mm. to also take, uh, you know, 10,000 feet back and look at the problem from a slightly larger picture, because of course, we've got India and Pakistan, and we are speaking on behalf of our countries to understand what the sentiment in our countries is. But there's a whole different world of 193 countries that are not involved in either of these two political conflicts. And let's take a minute True. to understand, you know, where these countries from this global diaspora stand. To start off with, of course, there's the, the big daddy, you know, the big brother of the world, which is the United States of America, which always manages to find itself at the center of every single conflict, no matter which corner of the world it is in. And it's no secret to our listeners to know that the US, of course, is best friends with Israel. In fact, the US uh, backs Israel with about $4 billion of military aid annually. And as recently as two weeks ago, in fact, there was a $735 million um, military aid uh, stimulus package that was granted to Israel. And what's interesting, though, is that while the country's political stance aids Israel continuously, in light of the strife, that's what uh, the light of the strife that's happening right now, there are several factions of the country that do not believe they should continue supporting this because they believe that they are funding war. Uh, for instance, a lot of congressmen are trying to prohibit this $735 million aid package that was signed off just two weeks ago from actually being implemented. Bernie Sanders, in fact, tweeted no later than three or four days ago saying that the USA should put an end to its support of this war through its funding of Israel and put a full stop to this permanently. Having said that, Umair, I think you very, very clearly elucidated and spoke on behalf of not only Pakistan, but most Islamic and Arab states that the entire Arab and Muslim community of all countries around the world side with Palestine. I think that's very, very clear. And in addition to your previous point about the passport, uh, you know, my, my little bit of reading tells me that there are 36 nations around the world, including Pakistan, that do not recognize Israel as an independent nation state. And that's really interesting. I had absolutely no idea that we have one sixth of the world that actually does not recognize yeah. a country's sovereignty. And that blew my mind when I read that statistic. Yeah, that is, uh, it, it, it is the fact of the world, man. I mean, <laughs> well, you're right. So, but Israel, if you look at it in the context of the Israel-Palestine equation, in the context of the global community. So obviously, like you said, so the big, big 800-pound gorilla, the U.S., right? So U.S. has been, once again, if you dive deeper into the, the transformation of Israel, this, of the Israeli nation, this sort of very disadvantaged country that's surrounded on all sides by, by hostile Arab nations. And you see them today whereby they have, you know they've they've made considerable progress. Um, that has been because the U.S. had been looking for a stable ally in the region, uh, and while they've they've been in bed with the Saudis for a while now, it's it's one of the 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 U.S. nexus's most uh, most reliable, let's say, diplomatic connections, and they've been pumping millions and billions of dollars into that for a while now and same is the case for if you come into the you know the same nexus if you look at the the uk so uk once and it a lot of geopolitical um uh let's say plays are in this equation so the uk is and um, enemies with iran with syria so uh, supposedly so that's why they they use this as a counterbalance they use israel and a lot of nations use this as a counterbalance in the region uh, and are backing israel on that stance france as a matter of fact uh, once again so like i said remember our history lessons so uk and france arbitrarily distributed the 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 area amongst them when um, after the world war so uh, france actually used to supply weapons to israel uh, and even if you look at the, the other big behemoth in the region, which is China, so China has billions in, in trade with Israel, some 11 billion, and it's, it's and, and because China's an economic superpower, so they, they, they don't, uh, they don't judge on that front, 
But as far as this particular conflict is concerned, at least the diplomatic stance has been, uh, as is for a lot of countries uh, around the world, is is to hold back. Uh, and historically, they've uh, they've played a very diplomatic role in this. So there haven't been full-on Israel supporters, even though they they have strong economic ties with them, uh, and supports the, the the country has supported the Palestinian cause as, at a number of occasions as well. But once again, it's never as full-on or as frontal as someone like. Uh, Pakistan or Turkey have, have been at world forums. They've been playing their cards closer to the chest. And this brings us to um, us, the, the Pakistanis and the Indians, and why this situation is actually very, it's, it's something that's very close to our hearts, not just because we share, a, like for example, I'm, if, if someone is listening to it objectively, listening to this podcast, they'd be like this person, Umair, he's so riled up because he has, let's say, a, a religious affinity to the Palestinians and not to the Israelis. But the reason why we're, we're addressing this issue in this podcast is because, because of this very similar things that are there, these parallels that can be drawn between the Israel-Palestine conflict and the India-Pakistan conflict, which is the overarching theme of 883 to infinity. And it, you know, if you look at it, uh, it's the, the, the last person to hand over the keys. Like I said, so this is even before the, the kingdom of Israel, there had been, you know, many people that predate them as well. Starting from the ancient Egyptians, but the last person to hand over the keys to the current, let's say, current two parties, the Israelis and the Palestinians, have been, dun 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 dun, dun Great Britain, right? So the Great British Empire, and it since Pakistan and India have gone through that very painful and very violent process of the partition. Uh, they they see that parallel. We see that parallel with with Israel and Palestine today. That you know the conflict could have been resolved better, but perhaps it was done too hastily. Perhaps it was done too arbitrarily. And this is why you know when when um, when when there was voting going on 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 Palestine on the partition of Palestine and Israel, uh, Pakistan and India both. Apart from the Arab nations, we were the only two non-Arab nations that actually said, you know what, we don't agree with this either. We voted against it. Um, it's Pakistan ka to samaj mein aata hai. And it's because that, uh, uh, you know, we had that uh, religious affinity with them. But Subhi, why do you think that India actually voted against, uh, 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 voted like that back in the day? I think, you know, like we said earlier is, our leaders, right, as early as 1938, when Mahatma Gandhi said that he was pro, uh, anti-separation of state, supported that decision going into 1948, when the state was eventually separated, you know, understanding that separation of state is not healthy, of course, and that's something that we saw as India and Pakistan over the course of the 40s until partition in 47, independence and partition, which concurrently happened in 47, and obviously knew that it may not necessarily have been the healthiest solution, given the circumstances and given the nature of how it was done. And I think while we saw that infrastructure break down in front of our eyes, it became obvious that this is not a one-size-fits-all solution where you can just copy-paste this formula in different factions of the world where you're choosing to disinvest by virtue of the fact that you're, you've run your course of time. You, of course, being yeah. the, you know, the monarch. And, uh, uh, you know, and there is a certain amount of posterity as far as, uh, you know, your homeland is concerned, your residency is concerned, and politics cannot necessarily fix that in an arbitrary fashion. And we are examples of that infrastructure crumbling and those problems persisting for 75 years. And we see that uh, exist in as poor circumstances and situations as, uh, as we do with Israel and Palestine, Palestine today. Uh, interesting fact to note also that not only were we the only non-Arab countries, but India was also the only non-Muslim country to support this vote. Uh, you know, keeping in context to uh, its you know, very liberal stance that, uh, you know, its leaders in uh, the late 40s uh, or the in, of independent India had stating that, you know, it, uh, we should be religiously tolerant and we should be able to house our problems under a single umbrella and solve them diplomatically with the use of, you know, dialogue and love as opposed to with war and with partition, which is exactly what, you know, Gandhi as a leader also championed. And that's what he's known for 
in every single corner of the world and i think it puts us in a position today as indians and pakistanis even though we are third generation from the free uh, from the free country it puts us in a position today where we are able to sympathize and we are able to sympathize with palestine due to similar situations uh because we gained independence around the same time in the late 40s we gained independence around similar circumstances as well and we had the exact same religious and geopolitical conflicts uh and that's really the irony of the situation amel irony is the right word so so of course at the the heart of the matter is we we see that parallel in in kashmir as well so uh as far as pakistan and india are concerned if you draw a parallel with the area that is uh, palestine and and israel so we see a lot of parallels with the the disputed territory that is kashmir so just like kashmir there are several disputed areas there are uh, several skirmishes that happen in this the armed conflict that actually happen in this disputed area this just like kashmir it's it's under the the uh, the the global eye of the world and yet a uh, lot of those times those the you know what the un proposes uh is not enforced what the un says is not followed or one party doesn't accept it does the party doesn't accept it uh same that israel uh, palestine israel conflict may be yahi hai so what their 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 uh, argument uh, the palestinian argument for a long time been that you know, or jo inko abhi jo international sentiment hai jo largely ग्लोबल कम्युनिटी ग्लोबल कंट्रीज दे रही हैं वो यही कह रही हैं कि भाई यू हैव टू फॉलो वट यू यू नो द टू स्टेट सोल्यूशन दैट यू अग्रीड टू इन द इन द सीरीज ऑफ टॉक्स दैट यू हैड ठीक है सो देर बिन बंच ऑफ दीज अकॉर्ड्स ऑजलो अकॉर्ड्स है वो यू एन का वो है मैंडेट है ऑल ऑफ दैट सॉर्ट ऑफ थिंग जिसमें इवेंचुअली ये अग्री हुआ है कि भाई यू नो वॉट इट्स इट्स गोइंट बी अ टू स्टेट सोल्यूशन बट वंस अगेन इट्स इट्स ऑल you know writing on the wall it's it's uh, it's it's something that disappears poof if it's not enforceable so we see the same state same sort of issues and problems in kashmir as well yeah and if we look at the similarities right there are several disputed areas of course right now we have in india we've got the line of control in kashmir which divides uh, kashmir from azad kashmir uh, like you said several unsuccessful us uh, un interventions and from the global community as well right and right up till up till 97 where we had the last war to 2019 when we had fighter jets fly on both sides of the border shooting nah. you know, missiles at each other till 2 years ago till the 13th of february 2019 which is when pulwama occurred in kashmir uh skirmishes that go on continuously on different parts of the border or the line of control very similar to what happens with gaza with west bank uh, in fact in west bank they if you if you recall they had constructed a wall to actually block mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. of people which we do on very similar parts of the line of control which is considered now to be some sort of international boundary but there's commissions because of people moving forth up and down all the time and of course you know while the international community can uh, reflect on such things there are residents of the state you know residents of villages in the locality who don't necessarily care about you know these larger problems because for them it's their hometowns and their livelihoods and as a result people are continuously uprooted from their homes and we see this in kashmir we see this in kashmir all the time dating back uh, you know to the 40s to more recently to the 80s that people are continuously uh, uprooted and that happens even till today because of the intervention of uh, you know uh, so many external forces people are continuously living under threat because there's the intervention of army there's the intervention of state police there are the in- uh, interventions of bad actors and people are constantly living under the fear of threat and this is the exact same situation in kashmir as okay. it is you know we see in the disputed territories that israel and palestine uh, you know uh, fight over um it's you know it's important to note though that this matter of course you know dates back to the 40s when uh you know india got its independence from um from the british and at the time in 47 when we institutionalized the partition of the country the partition of the country was made on the grounds of the fact that muslims would have a state for themselves would have a home for themselves which was later hmm. called pakistan 
in in 47 when you know this partition actually took place and this came from a place of religious tolerance not from a place of intolerance it was not anyone kicking anyone out of their homes it was a place of religious tolerance india has always been a secular country and the government in 47 that was responsible for our independence and that took control of the country was very very pro muslim it's very publicly known that the nehru regime was very pro muslim and yeah. they did this from they came from the place of religious tolerance as opposed to intolerance and you i'm sure you know living in pakistan must be seeing a similar bent of mind in terms of the irony when you look at the formation of the country yourself right irony once again apt use of the word irony uh, so like i said um, decidedly uh, against israel most pakistanis uh, both state and non state actors uh, but the irony is that if you look at it from from one lens the israel and pakistan were born around the same time israel and pakistan were born for similar reasons so pakistan the 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 battle cry is that homeland for the muslims right so it's made in the yeah there's a political movement but it's underpinning a religious sentiment that we need a place for us uh, separate from india now and this is where we live this is this is what we want to do so in kabi if you look at it matlab it's it's uh, the the zionist uh, let's say manifesto and and the creation of israel is is based around similar principles uh completely different but they they have they mirror each other so similarly it's the the state of israel is based around um providing a homeland to to jews the uh, as just as pakistan claimed to provide a homeland for muslims of the region uh, the the usp per se right if you put it in advertising but so the irony is not lost on me and i think this irony is something that that needs to be addressed uh, in our communities as well especially in the pakistani community uh, that you know how, how do we reconcile that to they they have the same sort of mission sure i like i said so first um, the pakistani response has been first first go for peace but otherwise if you look at that look at those two intentions you see very similar countries born for very very similar reasons for these countries being born and very similar timelines that had actually happened and that brings us to to the to the very important question the something that i laid out in the beginning as well this whole thing uh, you know the the underpinning of zionism the yearning to go home and the claim that one can make that you know this is uh, this is where the kingdom of israel was back in the ancient days so here we are back but then where does it stop so you know before the kingdom of israel before judaism i'm sure there were people there the ancient egyptians and whoever else lived in the area they can they they used to live in the land and after the palestinians or let's say the arabs that have been living in the last 2000 years over there they go like you know okay you were here 3000 years ago we've been here for 2000 years so just because you came earlier does that mean that you you automatically have, have claimed to the land and if that's the case then then how, how does it work out then for example so we if you and i are sitting here and you know we have our we have our predecessors in in the ancient indus valley civilization which was the perhaps the the, the earliest recorded civilization of its kind one day they can come and tell you and me ke chalo bhai ab yahan se hato because we were here first can is is that does it make sense where do you draw the line or for example if you take it on a broader level uh, the you know mankind is supposed to have been uh, first originated in 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 the in the plains of africa or let's say for example that jisko kehte hain the cradle of civilization babylon or or modern day iraq so then can we just simply all of the world everybody that that started off there and then spread across the world can we just go back into that region and say this is my place now because i was my great 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 dada used to roam around here and hunt the wilder beast or whatever can you do that, that that's 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 the that that is the question that i've been struggling with where do you draw the line what is relevant when 
claiming that this is or was my home and what is not relevant? It's a, it's a very prudent question, Umair, and you know, we ask this question to ourselves also several times, even with domestic conflict that we have with the Ram Mandir, with the Babri Masjid, right, which goes back 432 years apparently, who was your first? I mean, the question you're, you're rightly asking is how far back can one actually go to claim land, right? Very prudent question. I think the question that's been keeping me awake recently, the couple of questions actually that have been keeping me awake is there's, you know, over the last couple of weeks, you spoke about a lot of the, you know, uh, a lot of the armed conflict leading to a lot of death. And obviously that's led to, led to a little bit of a rise of an anti-Semitic sentiment around the world, right? You've been seeing these protests, you've been seeing a lot of hate speech, a lot of it online, social uh. media blowing up with this intolerance, you know? So is the global community able to separate a state and its politics from its people? Are the people justified to receive this hate from the world, from the global community at large? Or can the global community not be sensitive to the extent where it separates a state or its leaders and their politics and their policies from its people? And this has really been keeping me up all night because, you know, we're supposed to be living in 2021 with a very, uh, you know, open-minded society uh, that understands the difference between individual actions, intentions, sentiments, words from what the state does. And yet we see people like you and me online explode every single day. And, you know, it, it, it keeps me up all night. And yeah, go ahead. It's, it's, once again, if you look at it as well, it's not just, I'm going to button and slightly sidetrack you. It's not just a state. So, for example, if you look at some of the interviews that uh, global reporters have been doing of, of Israeli uh, de defense uh, soldiers and whatnot. So, a particular interesting one thousand, you know, the, the Abiju response, whatever, in Israeli state is saying that this is in response to what Hamas is doing. And the people of Palestine are saying, but, you know, you're, you're building, you're blowing up buildings that are not Hamas building there are you know there are offices there are there are residences there are so they're like no but yeah. the, the hospitals but the israeli stance has been that there might be that's why we called you an hour early and said you know but we feel like hamas is using you as human shields uh and then so that's why we you know if the casualties we are sorry about the casualties they occur but it's just collateral damage because we feel like hamas is using you as a cover and we are just trying to dismantle our enemy which is hamas and we're trying to dismantle their capability so if if we build you know blew up that building we think it's because there were uh, a hamas in literally they use the word infrastructure we're trying to take out enemy infrastructure just be but an interesting palestinian ka uh, sound bite. They're like, what do you expect us to do? Like, you know, we are we are caved in. Uh, we don't have we're unemployed. Forty percent unemployment. We're we're you know, it's it's a tough life out here. What should we do? They are sure they're they're militants. Fine. They're they're not even so. Hamas is not even the state. Hamas is an organization. It's not the state. It's not the authority. But even in that case, because of the 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 transfer of you know the change in power level so hamas is still they have weapons they have in work work in an organized way the logo ka sentiment or unka sentiment they're like bhai hum kya kare wo hamas wale kare hame kyun maar so ye bada mushkil um, topic hai uh, as a matter of fact so simply from this lens as well this this anti-semitism uh, and this the you know it's it's very important for us to distinguish just like we do for 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 people of India and Pakistan, our state level actions different. Hai. Hum insan to insan hai na. Uh, regardless of caste, creed, religion, race, whatever, insaniyat pe baat karo. So, isme bhi, mujhe bhi ye nazar aata hai ki the the slippery slope is that you know while I can sit here and condemn Israel's disproportionate violence against Palestine, it's a very thin line whether I you know and especially just kisam ki movement ho rahi hai. Uh, the protests and the naras and everything very easily that can go into israel is equals to zionist is equal to jews therefore jews are our enemy it becomes a religious conflict uh, at least according to uh, 
Islamic, even in Islamic religion, uh, Jews are, they're people, they're considered people of the book. The Islam, Christians and Jews are considered people of the book. So it's, you know, you have to poke the stick at the right place and be, and we have to be a little more careful that's the, the actions of the state need to be condemned. Okay, sure. Or you need to, you can have an opinion on it. But we need to overall, just like we do for Pakistan and India, we can, we need to look at it from perhaps a more secular lens, if I'm using the right word. But once again, this is that Zionism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. But then we have to look at it from a human lens. And we have to understand that this is an issue that has been there since literally time immemorial, right? So at least we can track it back to 3,000 years. And there have been countless attempts to, to resolve this, uh, especially in the modern past. And, you know, some 70 odd years that we've been trying to resolve it. And all sort of actors have tried, you know, international intermediaries, the UN, the League of Nations, the world superpowers, old, new, cold war, the US, China, India, everybody, everybody has tried to, to actually create a sustainable solution for the Israel-Palestine problem. But so far they have not succeeded. But therein comes the, the ray of hope of positivity that yes, as long as you toe the line for peace, so we, we our podcast and our stance for everything has been that first give peace a chance, then you go back to to seeing who's right and who's wrong. So we're confident that even though an enforceable win-win solution has not yet been cracked by any of these these global superpowers and these diplomatic geniuses, perhaps that that answer exists somewhere else. Perhaps. Uh, there is a, a, a novel solution that, that we can get from somewhere else. Perhaps it's something that we can get from, from our communities, from your community, from my community, from, from the people that listen in. I guess the next question that's going to keep our listeners awake up all night after listening to that, Omer, was that it's no joke that, of course, the world is, uh, it's no secret that the world is divided, you know, between pro-Israel and pro-Palestine. But how can we be pro-peace despite being pro-Israel or being pro-Palestine. Pro and that's a question that's definitely going to keep me awake tonight. And I hope that, you know, it tickles some of your fantasies, uh, you know, dear listeners. And we hope that, you know, uh, you have some ideas to this. And man, actually, you know, it brings me to the last question that I've been thinking about as we build up to this episode, because we've been trying to contextualize all these problems that are happening on this global diaspora back to what is close to home between India and Pakistan, because the problems are very similar in their nature, right? So when we talk about, uh, you know, religious tolerance and we talk about pro-peace and we talk about how far back we should go to claim our land. And, you know, unfortunately, because the geopolitical center of our problem is Kashmir and the fundamental yeah. problem of our uh, nations is the division in terms of you know, it's religious beliefs and therefore the conflicts that arrive, arise out of that. India was built mm. on the fact that the constitution of our country says that we are a secular country, right? On paper, Israel is also a secular country. A secular country, yeah. So in today's modern world, when our views are so polarizing, is it practically possible for a nation to be truly secular? I don't have the answer to that. I, it's, it's, it's a tough question. I think we'll have to throw it out to someone who can actually um, shed this light on it. It's a, it's a tough question to answer. Can we truly be secular uh, in this day and age? So I think, uh, you know, in conclusion, I think Umair, like you said, problems go on for hundreds, if not thousands of years. We've been dragging them forward into modern diplomacy, you know, so society, politics, religion, economics, all kind of come to a nasty confluence with everything that's happened around the world, you know, movements going on around the world, Black Lives Matter, yeah. All Lives Matter, Jewish Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. And we are contextualizing all our problems to our backyard, which is India and Pakistan, right? And I think these four questions, 
are a great place for our users to reflect tonight as they go to bed. How far back should someone go when it comes to claiming territory? With the rise of anti-Semitic sentiment, can the global community separate state from its politics and it's from its people? Can you be pro-peace despite being pro-Palestine or Israel? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. is it possible to genuinely be a truly secular state in 2021? And we hope that these questions keep you up. We hope that you write in. We hope that you have a novel solution to let us know. We hope you've had an enriching one hour. If you enjoyed this podcast, there is no better way to support us than to spread our message to like-minded folks. Follow us on our socials. We're most active on Instagram, but you can find us posting on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, and all the other usual suspects. Just search for 83 to infinity. And if you're feeling really generous, maybe put up a story about us and talk about how awesome we are. You know, the usual. Also, if you have an idea for us to explore or know of someone that would be a great guest on 883, just drop us a message on Insta. We want this to be as interactive as possible and would love to feature and possibly dissect your thoughts on India, Pakistan, the bonds that join us and the gaps that separate us. This podcast was produced by Janvi Shetty, edited by Bijal Kakkar and Abbas Mahableshwarwala. Our social content is powered by Apurva, Arshi and Purva from Team Mammoth. Support the 883 Art Project led by Akash and Ahmed. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not meant to offend or hurt the sentiments of, including, but not limited to any person, dead or alive, religion or ethnic group, community or country. The primary purpose of this podcast is to build a cultural bridge and shed light on the similarities that we share with our friends from across the border. <laughs>